0: Hey, Lisa. Yes, John. Do you think mental health is a thing we should talk about? Absolutely. Can your mental health be healed?
1: (laughs) Mine personally, or is that a global question? (laughs)
0: Let's ask an expert. What if all you needed to get better in every way was available at the touch of a hand or the sound of a voice or even a vibration? Let's talk about how that happens, who can do it, and where to find them. I'm John Webster. And this is The Hesitant Healer. Greetings and welcome to yet another exciting, fun-filled episode of The Hesitant Healer. I'm John Webster, and I am here with my faithful, trusty sidekick, Lisa Kay. Say hi to the masses, Lisa. Hey, everybody. How's it going? You know, Lisa. Yes. We're going to talk a little bit about mental health today. Ooh, I like that. Good subject. And because I'm not an expert and you're not an expert on mental health... We're far from (laughs) expert-y. I thought we'd bring in...
1: Wait, I thought you were going to say we were far from mentally healthy. And I was going to be...
0: It's inferred.
2: (laughs) Both can Uh, be true.
0: We're going to bring in an expert that I know from uh, some of my past. And uh, she said she'd be willing to talk to us about it because it turns out she is an expert. Oh, good. So here live from the great state of Texas... (laughs) Is Shannon Bloom. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to do this. You're welcome. Um, We'll we'll talk a little bit about how we met. Back in the day when I was still working for the police department and the sheriff's department, I worked in a little town called Chino Hills. And um, I think I met you prior to that, but you lived in Chino Hills. And so... Uh, I was willing to leave work when I was done and go work on you out there you were you actually started out as a client right and at that time you were working for a place uh, where you were an employee but you were a counselor at that place and um, and then you've since moved on and and become bigger and better <laughs> in fact everybody I know that left that place became bigger and better <laughs> and that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> that's all <laughs> So tell us a little bit about uh, how you
2: came to be. So um, my story is a long and twisted road, which I like those best ones. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I have a sign in my living room that says, may your may your twisted roads lead to amazing views or something like that. Oh, Perfect. love that. Yeah. Uh, so got my MFT degree in 1992. I like to joke that I'm a therapist of the previous century. Um, <laughs> And uh, had sort of a a modge podge of experiences. Right when I graduated, I started working at a drug and alcohol clinic uh, and then moved a different state, started having more kids and decided that working full time was not what I wanted to be doing at that time.
0: Was there a reason that you chose this profession?
2: Oh, definitely. (laughs) Uh, well, there's there's a serious reason, and there's a jokey reason. The serious reason is that my parents divorced when I was about 11 or 12, um, and I really was struggling and needed some extra support. And my parents found me a therapist who was a Gestalt therapist and helped me tremendously.
0: What is Gestalt?
2: So Gestalt focuses a lot on... Um, I, I wouldn't even say it's really a talk therapy. It's more uh, like like insight therapy and really understanding that we are a whole experience. Um, so focusing on our dark parts, our shadow parts, it, it's, it does a lot of things like role playing um, the empty chair technique and things where we are not just our thoughts and we're not just our feelings and we're not just our relationship to someone, but it, it takes it as a whole. Okay. Um. And she was very helpful for me. Uh, And I realized, you know, I didn't really have an idea what I wanted to do in college. But when I thought back on my short life at that point, uh, I realized like the thing that was most important to me was that I had this therapist that could be unbiased and could try and help me and validated my experiences Um, So that's the serious reason. The jokey reason is that I went all the way through junior high, high school and college without taking chemistry. And therapy was one of the majors that didn't require me to take chemistry.
0: (laughs) I don't know that that's a joke. That sounds like the way I went through school.
2: So I fully believed I was not smart enough to deal with chemistry. And um, so I avoided it successfully my entire educational career. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so went through marriage and family therapy, then took a number of years off. Um, I have four children. They're all adults now. And I raised them. I homeschooled them. Um, I spoke at homeschooling conferences about parenting. Um, I spoke at church groups, things like that. So I, I kept things up that way. And I kept sort of abreast of various um, modalities and such. And then um, myself got divorced in 2010. And had to go back to work. Yeah. And that's when I, um, things radically shifted for me in my life when I got divorced. So I had converted to, um, Mormonism at 17, having grown up in an alcoholic family system myself. I was looking for safety and security and stability and, didn't know that it was a cult at the time. I just thought it was a, a religion provided all this, all that support that I thought I needed at that time and really did need. Right. Um, and then by the time 2010 and 2015 rolls around in between that five year period left, not only the marriage, but also left the cult. Oof.
1: That's a lot. That's a lot of giving up um, a, a basis, right? Uh, the The thing you're standing on that solid rock.
2: Yeah. And it was, it had very much become my identity, Um, you know, Mormonism and lots of high control religions provide so much structure and, and rules that in order to really live it, you have to internalize it. Correct. Otherwise you're like, why, why would I do that? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, So yeah, there was a lot, there was a lot of um, loss. There was a lot of opening, a lot of closing down. Um,
0: did, it, did it lay a foundation for you while you were in it? Or did the foundation you grew up with kind of carry you through that time frame? It's a very interesting question. Um, I, I'll, I'll, I'll f- explain that, which is a lot of times in clients that I've come across, um, when they grow up in a foundational belief system and it fails them, that foundation tends to crack and it, and it causes them to free fall because they, they have nothing to believe in. So they have nothing to fall back on. You didn't start with that. You went into it with a whole different perspective, but they certainly have a foundational belief system. Did it, did it juxtapose between the two of them or did they convert you or was a little bit of both?
2: I would say they, they juxtaposed. I mean, I was really swinging back and forth. Mm -hmm. Um, my my family of origin is very um they're they're very charismatic. Okay. they're um very for the most part, I would say, pretty open-minded mm-hmm. um, and also a little chaotic and uh, overly spontaneous at times. So I was like pendulating back and forth, you know, at 17, I wanted this ridiculous amount of stability. I, I say, ridic- I shouldn't say ridiculous. I, I was afraid because I had been raised in an alcoholic family system and I wanted that stability. But you're right. When I came out of it, I have not struggled like a lot of other people have struggled when they deconstructed a faith system because I already knew that my family wasn't, they weren't Mormon. And they were going to be like, oh, thank God you're back.
0: <laughs> so, so, an interesting point, I think we're sidebarring here, but an interesting point is in growing up in an alcoholic family, you had to find your own belief system from the get-go. And so, you were self-sufficient and you had your own protective mechanisms in place. So, even though religion held uh some partial answers you had already set your your foundational belief system in place that it, because you had to and and so that kind of drives a lot of us in a direction that we go from there
2: yeah and i think that for me the structure of mormonism really eventually just gave me the process right of how to find something else that was going to give me more solace and meaning and comfort that right. was not externally based like you know, prayer or tithing or going to church or reading my scriptures. But initially I did, I think I did need some of that external structure because my life was so willy-nilly, you right. know, before
0: a lot of the times I find you take what you need and you leave the rest and that works really good.
2: Um yeah, except Mormons won't let you leave the rest.
0: <laughs> Glad you said so it, not I just me. decided
2: to leave the whole thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah Cause I, I would agree with you. Yeah. So there's this sort of odd melding, but but for me also personally, I started um, shifting really radically from um, a very cognitive way of living, mm-hmm. which was what I was doing as, as a Mormon right. uh, and having things like broken out and uh, really laid out for me sequentially to trusting myself more and building my intuition, which had been stripped from me. Right. Um, so that I find also is sort of the parallel of what I've noticed, um, my shift professionally where I was trained in cognitive behavioral therapy. It's very methodical. There's questions, there's worksheets, there's right. measuring of things. And it's very outwardly based as well as it does have some focus on feelings because the triad is, right. right. you know, thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. That's the, the triangle in CBT. And starting to move out of that and being thinking like there's got to be something more than just tackling my thoughts and my feelings to change my behaviors. And that's when, um, the, the, my whole expansion started with body based and somatic, um, tools, somatic connection to myself, because I started realizing I kept looking for trust and stability outside of me. That's and that's not where it is it's not where it is. And so I continued to sort to set myself up and sabotage because I continued to seek outwardly. I was outsourcing everything. I outsourced my worthiness, my decision making, the guidance that I thought I needed was it right or wrong and I I I didn't know what I actually thought and felt inside so <laughs> stripping it all the way
0: to simplify a little bit here because i come across this a lot in my work i know you come across it a lot in your work and what you're talking about here is early on if we're in super dysfunctional relationships alcoholic parents abusive parents or caretakers areas in which we have as little people have no control a lot of times what happens is what's called the psychic split or the the ability to leave our bodies and watch what happens from a different place whether it's a spiritual aspect or or a psychic aspect however you want to call it we're not in ourselves when we go through these because it hurts too much right. to be in a to be in a body like that and so What you're talking about is reintegration of that into into our physical forms, but there's also a spiritual aspect, there's also a psychological aspect, there's also an actual physical aspect to it, and and as we come into ourselves, and as you were coming into yourselves, you started finding different pieces that you could put back into you to become whole, and that's how a lot of us become healers.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And I would say, you know, having that experience of dissociating that, that spectrum of disconnection, I don't think I realized, I mean, it made sense to me as a therapist. Like, yes, there are experiences from my childhood that would have overwhelmed my little nervous system. Right. And so as a gift, my brain is going to disconnect from that. Correct. Um, What I didn't understand is that that is actually the birthplace of anxiety. As nice. Well. Because when I disconnect from my body, because nobody teaches me like, oh yeah, when you feel your tummy hurt, that may be worry. Or when you feel your throat clenching, maybe that's sadness.
0: Yeah. no, Nobody explains that to oh, us. Right? No.
2: They yeah. said, Shannon, go to your room. Go to your room I'm, and just calm down. Might I
0: say, if you write a book, you should call it The Spectrum of Disconnection. I think that'd be a good title for a book.
2: I, I was thinking um, also there's a so I've I've been told many times that I should share my story of deconstructing. Oh Mormonism. yes. Um Ooh. and I, I was also playing around with the the name um unredeemed. Oh I how love that. how being unsaved saved me.
1: Oh Ooh.
2: ding ding ding. I like um, I like the spectrum of dis- disconnection. Maybe I'll figure out a way to, to, make to blend them happen. because really I was very dissociated in my Mormonism. Absolutely. Right. I was completely disconnected from fear. Well, not really from fear, but from understanding it in my body, how it translated in my body.
0: Really, the only way I would think that you're going to get there the way they want you to from where you came from is that you have to be completely broken down and brainwashed before they could bring you up and give you everything. And that just wasn't going to happen. So but that I
2: makes so sense. Close. I was in there for thirty-seven years. <laughs> oh my goodness! Wow. But yes, you're right. It it requires just a tremendous amount of indoctrination because there's so much that goes against our connection with other people. We're taught that if our our family doesn't agree with us, that we're to disconnect from them.
1: Correct. Right. right. They're they're the wrong ones, and we're all right. Yes. There's always an insiders and an outsider. Outsiders.
2: Yeah, with right. fear based with fear-based processes that exactly. is true, exactly right exactly. so um i i don't think that i recognized as i was an adult in mormonism how much that was actually leading to my disconnection um i knew like i said from a childhood standpoint that i would i would have disconnected um but it actually just fed on that um and uh it just it just kept me in a state of fear um overthinking to try and solve my problem rather than feeling and it this really mounted for me and came to a pinnacle when i moved out here to texas Mm -hmm. um and i i had been doing cbt and dbt for years Mm -hmm. mentalizing um based therapy and treatment um i'd been trained in emdr so i had some um body-based awareness of like what's happening in the body Mm -hmm. but all of that was out there right right that was seeing trauma from the outside and I'm I'm an observer of it in my clients right and when I moved out to Texas I was managing a mental health clinic and then and COVID hit uh and unbelievably agitated me in my connection with people because I was at the clinic 49 hours a week, 50 (laughs) hours a week by myself Wow! and my coworkers were all in their homes and we had one hour a week where we saw each other. And we were also still trying to run a profitable business and hire people and do all these kinds of things. And I started feeling really uh, disconnected and agitated because I wasn't getting some communication and responses back from my coworkers. And it just amplified things that I thought had been resolved, which was, right. I was pretty much, my sister and I were pretty much latchkey kids in a really wealthy suburb of San Francisco as teens. So teen. it,
0: it stirred up all the old childhood stuff. All of it. Yeah. Mm. All
2: of it. And it was life-threatening. Yeah. Uh, COVID was life-threatening. And so we've got this this amazing push-pull between I still have a job to do, but I can't expose myself too much. I might die. I have to be alone. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. A, lo- a lot of people experienced that and the yeah. the two types of folks that I saw during COVID and after COVID that were that were the worst hit with this were teachers and and talk therapists because they were they were contingent on being in front of a live person that they could touch and talk to and control and manipulate in a in a good positive way, but when it went to screens it, it it got flipped, and and they had control, and you and and there was no tactile response, and it really says a lot to the energy that's exchanged when you're in front of a live person.
2: Right. Yeah. So, side note on that, I couldn't figure out why I found it so draining uh-huh. to be online when it's supposed to be easier, right, and more convenient.
0: It, it was not.
2: But. Mm-hmm. What I learned was, uh, that our central nervous system, right? The, the neuroception that happens, which is our subconscious awareness of tone of voice, eye shape. And, and like if somebody's got menacing eye contact, the stiffness mm-hmm. in your jaw, your body posture communicates subconsciously.
0: And we all the little, all the little contacts that, that you, you do subconsciously that you don't know, that the FBI looks at when they're talking to a killer. They're like, oh, you they know, blink
2: too much. They're lying. right.
0: Or poker players do when they're looking across the table. You pick up a lot of different tells, which you can't pick up on a screen.
2: Not not as much. I believe. Because I've only got this.
0: I believe yeah. there's an energy exchange that goes with that as well, oh, yeah. that there's a, there's a frequency that we can tune into and pick up from, which is what I do with touch, um, but you're doing it when you're doing it face-to-face, and they can't hide, right? It's like, it's like, it's like texting sarcasm. It just doesn't <laughs> come through. It's just not the same. So, I mean, you guys ended up batty, collectively, all of you just really ended up crazy because it wasn't the same.
2: It's not the same. And what happened, the reason that it felt so draining is because I, the the energy flow is different when it's virtual, but there's a slight delay.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah.
2: Right. And my, our brain and our body doesn't want the delay. It wants that instant real time feedback. So I can now say, oh, I understand you have a soft glance. Your tone of voice is is regulated the porosity is normal and and all of these things and but when it's the internet we can't just naturally kind of talk over each other that's as, yeah.
0: super interesting because because i think i've talked about this before lisa with uh uh the blue man group remember uh-huh. i talked about that blue man yeah. group they have a whole thing where they talk about have you ever seen blue man group in vegas And they talk about uh, television or movies where it's a series of pictures that go by really fast. And your brain fills that gap between the pictures. And it's the same when they went from records, which was a constant stream of music, to digital. They just assumed that our brain would fill the spaces between the digital. Well... As they've digitized us more and more, they've changed our brain functioning patterns of how we interpret those in front of us. But if you're live, you didn't do that as much. And when they changed it to video, it changed everything. That totally makes sense. And our brains are fighting constantly against that tiny little synaptic gap that it has to fill. That's really interesting. The
2: body doesn't like it, and it's draining For the mind and the body to have to over all of those gaps to have to wait for for to receive that and so once i learned that i'm like okay i can just nurture myself a little bit more i can talk a little bit slower which if you know me is not (laughs) naturally to me right um wait a little bit more you know receive and listen a little bit more so it is doable but that gave me some insight about why there was this drain that I was feeling that in, makes own, sense. in addition to the fear,
0: right? It makes and total that makes sense. sense.
2: Yeah. So 2021, I am in full transparency, totally falling apart. Mm. I can't get through a day at work without feeling completely overwhelmed. I'm feeling incredibly misunderstood um, and disconnected from my team. Um, there were just lots, I think all of us were really struggling. And in that moment, we really didn't know oddly enough how to support and help each other through it. Um, so I took, I was put on a leave of absence and I took it, um, and did a, my sister helped me financially to do a somatic equine retreat.
1: Oh my goodness.
2: And I was, I did not know what was happening to me. I mean, honest to God, I, I, you know, as a child, I knew that I had trauma as a kid, and I knew, I knew that I had already like processed a lot of that. So in my mind, my thinking mind, I'm like, what the is happening to me? (laughs) I'm, I'm losing it. I don't know who I am anymore. I'm having these big, huge reactions to really small things, and I'm going numb with the really big things. Mm -hmm. I was, like I said, I was crying every day. I'm on the phone with my sister and she's like, sweetie, this is trauma. And I was so resistant. I'm like, I know trauma. I know trauma. This is not trauma. right?"
0: I've done a ton of work on myself. I should be fine.
2: (laughs) I was super defensive and she was just enough ahead of me in the somatic world because she's a somatic practitioner that she was able to soften that fear and that defensiveness because I she's my sister she's been with me me right
0: interestingly enough not anybody could have pulled you out of that because she had she had a a like history and was able to get in where yeah that makes sense
2: and like she and i will finish each other's sentences like we have that that dna bond we have that sibling bond um and so she just said like you're in a trauma response and this is trauma from the inside and she said that to me and i was just like Oh, my God. I think she knows what she's talking about. <laughs> that's,
0: that's, that's your third book right there. Trauma from the inside.
2: Um, And she offered for me to do this. But I, I was so guarded and I was so afraid that...
0: But funny but, thing about horses is that uh, they don't care.
2: No, they don't. And they have a... And I learned this about them when I was on this retreat, that ner- um, their neurology is way more sensitive than than ours they perceive different energetic frequencies much easier than we do they're because they
0: live in the nature and think about think about a nervous system and the difference in size between our nervous system and their nervous system and and this goes back to that energy exchange of of you're not trained at any level for any number of those years to block the frequency that they have. So you're defenseless. Right.
2: Yeah. Right. Right. right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So even the night before I was just like, what's four days going to do with the horses? I'm going to be journaling on some fucking trail ride and what? I'm just going to be healed. I'm so guarded. And she's like, geez, Shannon, just, just accept whatever it is. and I was like, whatever I, I mean I just, I was so skeptical because I was so afraid. I'm like and I w- I felt pressurized in it too like I've got four days to get better
1: right right, right. yeah and anger there's a lot of anger in that as well. There was
2: there was a lot of anger I, I, I there was a lot of everything.
0: Meanwhile, the horses are in the stalls going Bob, Bob, <laughs> see that one there? <laughs> see that one there? <laughs> <laughs> I got her. Watch this.
2: (laughs) Watch this one. I'll take that one over there. Um, Yeah. So the very first day I get in there and we do just like a a centering meditation and I'm just, I'm just crying. Like I, and I look at my trainer, I'm like, I don't know why I'm crying. She's like, it's okay. (laughs) It's all okay. Um, And I just had a remarkable experience understanding from a lived felt sense what it was like to co-regulate mm-hmm. with another creature wow. I, and i realized to that point of my life i i had never done that that's amazing and over and over she kept saying shannon stop bracing allow 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 and at first i'm like i don't even know what the fuck that means what are you talking about <laughs> right
0: and and it's like it. it's like my kid when he was real little, he'd be in the corner and he'd be red faced and he'd be like this and you'd be, Corey, what are you doing? He'd go, nothing. <laughs> 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 Meanwhile, his diapers are full, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh
2: and I mean she she would start like when you work with horses, you start in the you never get on the horse, really. You're you, all of this Don't is need just groundwork yeah. and you're just touching them and letting, you know, letting them approach and um and so she she asked me, and this is kind of gestaltist ish she asked me, like, can you imagine having this difficult conversation that you were thinking of and start walking toward it this way? And I took, like, three steps and collapsed. I could not, I just couldn't even walk toward it. Wow. And the horse was over there and just waited. And it took three or four other people to, like, help me start breathing again normally. Uh, And they walked me back over to the horse. And then I learned this concept of pendulating and titrating. And I would go over to the horse and I would put both my hands on the horse and the horse would just kind of turn its head and just like blink in its eyes and its ears are just kind of moving. And I would calm down. And I'm like, what just happened? What was that? (laughs) And then she's like, can you try and walk again toward the conversation? And each time I did it like four or five times. And each time I got a little bit further before the collapse happened again. Wow. And then I'd come back. And the, the most interesting piece about all of this is when we first started the very first day, she's like, I want you to just take time with all of the horses. Just get to know them. See which horse picks you. See which horse you want to pick. And I was like, "What kind of woohoo is that?" <laughs> I mean, I get that's, me picking the horns, but the horns, real, me, that's real, right?
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. And again, so skeptical and so guarded, and this taught me a lot about myself. Like that's how I protected myself, right? As a kid, right? right. So,
0: meanwhile, your kids meanwhile, your kids are like, "Mom, <laughs>
2: yeah." <laughs> yeah. Oh, there've been lots of letters to my children in <laughs> <laughs> um, and allowing them like apologizing and coming into accountability. Like I taught this to you and you can unlearn this. That's right. powerful. That is huge because right. I'm unlearning it and they see that in right. me now. Right. Um, but anyway, so I'm, I'm walking the gauntlet. She would, she called it the gauntlet to pick your horses and stuff like this. And some of the horses would be in the back of the stall and they just kind of look at me and then just turn around with their butt facing me and keep eating. I'm like, well, they're not picking me. Right. (laughs) That's
1: funny. So this
2: one gray horse, I come walking down and it sticks its head out over the fence and I start petting it and it just kind of leans into me. And I'm like, I feel connected to this horse. And the gal looked at me and she goes, do you know who that is? I'm like, Secretariat, like what? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. She goes, "That's Boo, and this was my sister's horse." No, oh my goodness, wow! And again, I just started crying, and I texted my sister. I took a picture with Boo. Yes. She worked with Boo, and then took Boo to her farm for a little while and nursed him and and Stop. served him, and then gave him back to Colleen to use in these.
0: Yeah. Don't tell me this stuff isn't real. Cause that, that that's, that's it. That's the whole thing right there. And she's like,
2: this horse is in your family. Oh my goodness. And I'm like, Oh my God. And it was, it was just phenomenal. So, you know, I, I ate crow. I called my sister every night and I was like, okay, this is actually pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was thoroughly physically exhausted every day. It was from nine in the morning until about three or four in the afternoon. And it was all I could do to drive myself back down the hill to the, to the um, Airbnb that I had rented and took a shower and crawled into bed and slept for probably three hours. And then would usually wake up around eight or nine,
0: 30, 40 years of stuff. Yeah.
2: And stuff that I, that didn't have anything to do supposedly Right. with what I thought I was. Expecting.
0: Well, in, in that respect, you're kind of like a doctor. When I work on doctors, they know a lot of doctor stuff, but y- you came in with a therapist mind and you weren't doing therapist stuff. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: Some of the things she's like, was there sexual trauma in your family? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> a <little> bit, yeah. <laughs> and that had not been on my radar at all. Right. Right. But the more that we, she's like, would you be open to working on it? And I was like, Well, I know if I say no, she's just going to be like, allow, allow, allow. allow. (laughs) Um, But at least I started like noticing like, oh, I want to brace against that. It kind of scares me and I'm going to tolerate that and work through it. And I would say that process of understanding the bracing against versus allowing completely shifted my view of healing, not just for me, but like I was, I just thought I I'm kind of missing the mark or I'm only hitting part of the mark with my clients. Right. And I want to expand this in like little baby steps. I'm not going to suggest that somebody go for a four day thing if they can't afford that or don't want to, but you know, can we pay attention to our breathing?
0: You you, you bring up a really valid and good point uh, in the healing realm. I remember going to a friend of mine, uh, who I'd met in Truth or Consequences at uh, at Integrative Intentions. And I, I, I'd only met her once before, and, and she lived in Sedona in a really fantastic house right next to one of the vortexes, and, and she agreed to work on me. So I go into her room and I lay down. She walks in the room and doesn't even put hands on me. She goes, oh, you need a lot of work. <laughs> and, and I'm like, whatever. She goes, no, 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 no. I, I said, I get work. She goes, no, 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 no. no you need the type of work that you do on people because you can't do this kind of work if you're not getting that kind of work yourself because we, you can't transmit something you haven't got. Right. So in order to get to the deeper parts of the people that you want to get to the way that you want to get to, you got to do the work too. You
2: got to do it. 100% yeah. agree with that. And I I also felt really profoundly grateful because my sister, my sister paid for the training for me, I was not in a place where I could afford that. And I started realizing, well, what do all the other people do? Right, who are not as privileged as my sister, or even me to be the beneficiary of it, right. And I started recognizing, you know, there are significant changes that can happen, even if we do very small, sustainable things. And in fact, if we can sustain those small things, right, we're more likely of big radical shifts later, than if we try and do you know, a four day exactly. excursion and then we try and come back into regular life. Well, I that wasn't in my regular life. I couldn't have integrated that. It wasn't like I, I went to the somatic experiencing after a day of work. Right, right. Right, I was at a totally different place. I rented a room. I didn't have to pay attention to making meals for anybody else. I didn't, I could take myself out of my environment to have that transformation but coming back in I had to figure out oh god like what do I do to sustain this and it's just incrementally small things and so this is my big push now with people is yes you can learn somatic body-based things because frankly all of our thoughts and feelings first originate in the body
0: Right. And you have to put them into practice, too. A lot of times I'll work on somebody. They go, well, how, how often do you think I should come? You're going to come as often as you're going to come. And I guarantee you at some point you're going to have to go out there and practice and it's going to be a while before you come back in. So take what you need. Go use it in day to day practice and come back and, and tell me what doesn't work or what what's not working right.
2: Yeah. So I just started figuring like, OK, well, what can I do? that carries some of that forward for me incrementally not radically because I can't shift everything and I I still have to work what (laughs) I know so it was things like you know what I'm going to get up 15 minutes early and I'm actually going to take a bath because baths are remarkably soothing for my body for my neurology some people hate baths I'm like well then don't take a bath is it a walk that right you know, is it sitting on your patio for 10 minutes while you're drinking your coffee and getting that sunlight? Small, sustainable things are going to win the race. And I've I've just seen remarkable shifts in myself. And then, like you're saying, I am actually then more filled and whole when I'm going into my sessions, where before I was shielding myself and able to say the things, but I was sighing heavily after every session. I was getting headaches. My body was like I was stiff in areas of my hip, and so I was shielding up, right? But I was getting depleted.
0: And then, and then with the COVID thing, it was like a hundred times worse. Yeah, because that's a shield. That's a shield on a shield.
2: Right. Yeah, for sure. Right. Um, so I think where where what I'm learning now about the state of mental health and the changes in mental health. Um, is that we have to calm our body Mm -hmm. before we can actually calm our mind. Oh, yeah.
0: Nice.
2: And so when I see clients that are really depressed, really anxious, overthinking things because they're disconnected from their body. Remember I said, like, that's the birthplace of anxiety. When we disconnect from our body, our little kid brains can think not very well sometimes, but That's our go-to coping skill. And we just start overthinking instead of learning how to feel. So I do even some pendulating there. I'll usually start with some basic CBT things, understanding thinking distortions, cognitive distortions, and corrective techniques. And then I move into somatic work, Mm -hmm. paying attention to our breath work, our breathing patterns, paying attention. I do somatic tracking where... I just want clients to describe objectively what they're feeling in their body. Well, I can't feel it. I'm like, okay, so notice the numbness. Notice that you can't feel it. And like, can you feel anything here in your chest? No. Okay, try and take a deep breath. Does it change? Can you feel anything oh, there? Oh, it's a little tight. I'm like, how tight, right? How big is it? Does it have a color? Is there movement to it? And they start connecting inward and describing, like, where does it change? Well, now it's actually moved to the back of my head or now I'm nauseous. It's not in my chest anymore. I'm nauseous. Describe that. Is it the size of an orange? Is it the size of a volleyball? And oh, yeah. it's remarkable after maybe two or three passes, I usually will pick two areas.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Almost, almost always somebody can feel something in their chest. Mm-hmm. Um, If they're tearful, they're usually bracing and closing on their throat. Mm -hmm. And so then I'll ask them to focus in on one of those areas. After the two areas, I'm like, where does your body not feel this? Where do you not feel the tightness? And sometimes people are like, no, it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. I'm like, your fingertips? Like the the point of your nose, your earlobes," And sometimes they kind of giggle a little bit. Right. Do those areas feel neutral? And then we focus in on the neutrality of those, and then I'll come back into the chest and the throat, and they're like, oh, it's different. Uh, And invariably, it's reduced.
0: Yeah, I get the benefit of of touch. So what I'll do is put one hand on the low back and one hand on the the belly, and I'll have them uh, basically like in yoga, cat-cow. So arch the back and take the inhale, and then in the exhale, come to a flat back and push the tailbone up. So you're getting an undulation of the entire spine while they breathe. And automatically that sets the nervous system with the spinal cord. And, and they don't know that's what's happening, especially the ones that are disconnected. They don't know what's happening. And within minutes you can get them to deescalate, deregulate that nervous system so that they can get back into their body. Yeah. But yeah, it's a trippy thing when you don't know. And you could do it for years. You could not breathe correctly for years.
2: Oh yeah. 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 Um, I, I think the other thing that also really struck me uh about somatic work is understanding how the the body naturally wants to be in a state of safety. Right. And connection with other people. That's our first go-to for problem solving, for soothing. And if it doesn't get met at that safety level, well then we escalate into fight or flight. Right
0: and let's 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 hyphenate here this could happen at a very very young age
2: oh absolutely
0: and stick there for decades
2: oh for sure for sure i mean the way we hold our newborn babies can set the stage mm-hmm. for this right
0: it's interesting you should say that let me let me uh i have recently started getting babies, because I have a dentist who does uh, tongue ties and lip ties, and, and so they've been sending them to me to do sacral on these little tiny three-week-old, two-week-old. They're so cute. Oh, and, my gosh. And what's interesting is, and now I've learned from a lady named Lori Hendrickson, who's on Instagram, and we'll, we'll put her on the liner notes, she's like the baby whisperer of this kind of work. But one and I went to one of her classes a few months back and one of the things she talks about is in utero how a baby is being built and born there's a there's a natural formation of the fetal position and so when you hold them on your shoulders moms that fetal position should be intact and they should roll across your shoulders as you hold underneath the butt well what happens with these tongue ties which are are an extension of undergrowth, basically, and the, and so the the frenum and the tongue have pulled the center line all the way down to the to the pubic bone. Is they push off of the parent, and they want to reverse the fetal position. So if you get a baby that's you lay on their tummy and they push up, they're trying to stretch that thing naturally. This goes back to what you just said, and so if you put them on your on your uh, in the hug position, they push off. They're trying to push. So what's trippy is she get these little kids in her arms and she bends them like Gumby. She moves <laughs> them around, and and you wouldn't think a baby could move like that. But she just she goes. You got to stretch them. You got to stretch the spine. You got to stretch the tongue. You got to stretch the spinal cord and all and all the nervous system. But what's super interesting is she goes, now you get the dads Mm. and the dads have these carriers and how are these carriers built? She goes, we turn them around and they're facing out and they're absorbing everything that's coming at you and they're hanging. So you've pulled their hips out of displacement and they're absorbing all the energy and she's like, stop it. Turn them around and put them in the carriers the right way so that they can form and adhere and that the energy that they get is not from the outside world, but from mom or from dad and your heart to heart, shoulder to shoulder. And I went, oh my God, that makes so much sense.
2: Phenomenal. I I saw, I did some neuroaffective touch certifications and they showed this one picture, right? Where newborn baby and dad had the arm out and the baby was here and the head was here and the baby's feet were grounded on dad. Oh. Nice. Yeah. 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 And they're talking about like everything. And the baby's arms were like relaxed and out, uh-huh. not like not right. the all, but just out. And she goes, look at the openness. Right. That the baby has because it's back spine and head are fully supported. Perfect. And, that yeah, just yeah, yeah. Blew me away. and I'm like, right. that oh, is mine. Like, Anytime I do any kind of guided meditation, like I'm always wanting to like sink down into the chair and like right. put my hand on the rest. Right. Well, that's because your neurosystem wants that. Wants that. It needs to feel the the, the neurology needs to feel supported. So these are all just aspects right. to me that that we have in Western medicine jumped over. Right.
1: You know, it's funny. I, we we talk a lot about uh, Western medicine on the podcast. And and again, we are not anti-Western medicine. If I broke my leg today, I would go to the emergency room and I would have a doctor fix it. Um, no questions asked. Um, well, I would ask questions, but you know what I'm saying. Um, but, but if we go all the way back to ancient Greeks uh, or the Bible, um, we as humans have always been mind, body, spirit. And when you take one piece of that away, so I'm only going to fix your mind, and I'm not going to pay any attention to your body, or I'm only going to talk to you about what your spiritual life is like, and your body is bad, usually within the spiritual realm, right? Don't trust it. Don't trust that. So that that removes that. When we aren't connected in that that triad, we have missed the mark, and not just a little, constantly. Not
2: just a little. By, right. by. Yards and yards and yards, miles and miles. So, so true. Wow. I think that's been sort of my full circle experience too, because I'm, I'm not going to say, you know, that the medical model of medicine should just be thrown out. Oh, no, no,
0: no. it has, a, it has its purpose. I mean, I've too. been on
2: antidepressants before. I needed sure. that, right? Sure. I've been on medication. I needed that. I'm, I'm just coming to awareness, just like you guys have talked about that. We are, we are body, heart, mind, and soul all of those things exactly and so now i i look at my own experience i look at my clients experience from a very different lens it really was just i was segmenting the mind right and then giving a little bit of a nod to the heart (laughs) with emotions right right I, i was segmenting that and it didn't work for me right and as soon as i recognized like oh you know if a client comes in or my kid comes in and they're agitated and I'm like, calm down, just calm down. Right. Like we all know that works for nobody. Right, else. so well, right. Right? So it occurred to me, it's the same in parallel process and therapy. When somebody comes in and they're terribly depressed or in shutdown or they're really anxious and activated in fight or flight, me just training their thoughts is only like minuscule. I mean, we also know the vagus nerve is 80% afferent, right? Right. So the body communicates eighty percent up to the brain on the vagus nerve, and only twenty percent the other way. So at best, if I'm only focusing on what the brain can tell the body in the mind, then we're getting twenty percent effectiveness.
0: Right. Well, it's it's you know most of you women are hysterical <laughs> all the time anyway. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you know there was a whole reason they came up with the uh, things that they did. Uh-huh.
2: Uh-huh. Wow.
0: To fix hysteria. You know what my
2: thoughts might be about the patriarchy. Yes.
0: (laughs) That's going to be have to be a whole other podcast. (laughs) So do you want people to get a hold of you? And if so, how can they get a hold of you? So I will also
2: give you, I think I gave you, maybe I didn't give you the links um, for uh, my website, but I can be reached at SBMFT, Shannon Bloom MFT, services.com forward slash kairos k-a-i-r-o-s and what i'm doing now um is i am offering both therapy and coaching oh. um it just depends on where the client is at if they meet medical necessity i'll do therapy with them right if they are already at a pretty higher level of functioning and they want more enrichment they are not meeting medical necessity then i will do coaching nice
0: you're also on instagram yeah
2: I am on Instagram at Shannon Bloom, MFT, Shannon with an A, -A -A S-H-A-N-N-A-N.
0: B-L-U-M.
2: Looks like Blum, MFT. And that's my handle on TikTok, on Facebook, on Instagram.
0: You do TikTok videos? Fun.
2: Do you do cool dances? (laughs) I do TikTok videos. My son has taught me how to use TikTok. Nice. Yeah. They want me to get on YouTube and I'm like, you're asking too much. Uh,
1: uh, That's too far.
2: (laughs) um but my kids help me with all the technology so I learn I I I take it real slow right Uh, but all of the reels that I'll do on face on uh Instagram I also I have those on TikTok as well I have a much much smaller following but I'm just trying to figure out like where my my main people are right but essentially I'm looking to help women Uh uh heal emotional wounds good Lisa when you said like oh can mental health be healed I I emphatically believe that it can I can't guarantee how much right right I don't I don't know the degree and the depth of our wounding that we all have experienced um but I do know some rock solid evidence-based techniques and tools that that work with our neurology so what wherever somebody is at they can definitely get to a healthier place
0: good I love it well this has been a real treat thank you for talking to us thanks for having me you guys soon. are doing some
2: great stuff I'm really oh, proud wow, of you yeah um, I look forward to continuing to do more things together
0: awesome thank you and thank we you. we will have to talk again real soon
2: yeah all right.
0: all right well enjoy the rest of your day
2: thank you you guys as well <laughs>
0: all right thank you